Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Throne of Blood. In the year 1606, Shakespeare performed Macbeth, but it didn't really get good until 1957 when they added Samurai. Wait, wait. Shakespeare performed Macbeth. Shakespeare's company performed. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we go. That makes more sense. <laughs> I just, I just had like images of Shakespeare, who's a ghost because he's not real, running out and doing like every role, <laughs> kind of jumping across the stage, talking to himself. That'd be awesome. Are you gonna do the whole? Oh, Shakespeare was actually a collective of. Well, no, no. I want the real Shakespeare to be running back and forth, talking to himself. Right. But if it happens that it's going to be a ghost, that's even better. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yes, it is. Uh, oh God, I forgot. Nado Naso. Thank you. Which is uh, Spider Web Castle, but the English name is Throne of Blood. Yes. Oh, I, I had a. You see, you screwed up. I had a complete weird mispronunciation of that to roll out, but you got the correct one, and now I'm lost. Throne this is Matt. Of Blut. Uh, this is Luke. This is a sci-fi sanctuary. But wait, why is this isn't sci-fi? It's a little bit fantasy. I, we did Legend, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, there's there's really no good excuse on this one. Oh yeah, this is our cheat month, and I wanted to do a samurai film. Celluloid Sanctuary. And Matt shot down my idea of doing one of the really longer samurai <laughs> ones, because he just wanted to do a short one. Okay, Apparently hit, this is his favourite. Hidden Fortress we have plans for. Seven Samurai is really long, and as you said, that's one that probably, you know, would be good to get a guest on for. Yeah. And yes, this is my favorite Kurosawa film. Um, you know, I went through this art film, my, my film school phase, as we've talked about before. And, um, you know, I, I, I was talking to one of our guests, Andrew, on, on Oral Hygiene, where we were talking about Blockbuster. He was like, yeah, I got, you know, I could get these movies from the catalog that were supposed to be like a hundred buck VHS and get them for like a one dollar. Just make him previously viewed. And I scored because he actually got me the Kurosawa collection that way. Nice. So I paid like $1 for Throne of Blood at a time when buying the VHS would cost you like $90. <laughs> Excellent. And I was hell-bent on watching this one, and yeah, it, it satisfied. I, you know, I had enough film school geek. I was, I, was active, I was an active photographer at the time, mostly black and white. So this film is just like, you know, uh, you, you split your load or spunk your load if you're a photographer watching this. Oh, yeah. The cinematography is... <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> like, I didn't know until I sat down to watch it that it is Macbeth. Oh, you didn't know? No, I didn't. Because I, I, I love samurai because I read loads of history books and to watch documentaries and stuff. Haven't actually seen that much like Kurosawa. Okay, see, I thought that was like fully like, you know, known by everyone. But it's a film geeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I know Shakespeare because I, you know, grew up in England. So, yeah. I was by the way, we're not actors. So I can say Macbeth as much as I want to. Yeah, yeah. 
Can you the say Throne Scottish of Blood? Yeah. Can you can you say Throne of Blood if you're an actor? Presumably. Would you have to say like the Kurosawa movie? Yeah. The Kurosawa movie. <laughs> the Japanese play. Macbeth doesn't. Makobasu. 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 That wouldn't really work so well in Japanese anyway. Yeah. By the way, I'm I'm not trying to do like some sort of horrible character. I'm actually trying to work out how you do this in katakana, which ends up sounding weirdly racist sometimes. Yep. <laughs> But, um, so my favourite, I brought it up before, I don't know if I brought it up on this podcast. When I'm at a restaurant with a friend who does speak legit Japanese, and I'll say to him, oh, can I get a double cheeseburger? And he'll turn to the cashier and say, double cheeseburger. <laughs> 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 because they don't understand it if you say it correctly. You have to say it spelled out in the Japanese characters. But it really sounds like he's taking the piss if you just take that moment out of context. It is the second time, but it's a fun story anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I should note one screening of this I had was uh, one summer I was working in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. I was actually like, it was the time I was I, I was dumb enough to stumble into like actually being in charge of the dorm at like a summer camp. Right. That sucked. But I'm so, so but I, you know, I had a car and on my like one day off, I, I had to escape off into New York City. So I went to the film film forum. I think it's a. Uh, Is this the same trip where you went and watched King Kong in New York City? Or was it Metropolis? Metropolis. Same theater, different trip. Like, okay. it would have been like, you know, it was like their summer thing, right? Okay, so like different years apart. So it was like about 2002 or 2003, and they just had these, like, kick-ass, you know, new prints of... Um, yeah, I went for Metropolis, and I went for this on a nice. different weekend, you know. And then went in the village, did some record shopping, ate some Tibetan food. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my one um, skill in New York City was knowing how to park for free in Manhattan. You that can't stay quite, overnight with my telling. plan, but you can go for the day. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that anymore, but uh, you could then. Um, I, I, I don't know. Most people, you're supposed to know Macbeth, but let's face it, a lot of us forgot what the story for Macbeth actually is. Oh, I mean, I didn't. Well, you but didn't, again, but yeah, a I, lot, I mean, even for, you know, like, okay, you know, you know, wife is screwed, dude makes bad decisions, people, highest body count, right? Right, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I'll do the throw in the blood sort of story then. Okay. Guided by night's vision, a vision of something great has been crossed the desert to where the unknown waits. Frying pan of Turpan's fire, passage through the iron gate, a funeral procession, eternity won't wait. With the enemy forces defeated, samurai commanders Washizu and Miki return to their lord's castle. They predictably become lost in the spider's web forest and encounter a strange loom-spinning witch. The witch tells them that Washizu will become the lord of Spiderweb's castle, Miki will command the first fortress, and Miki's son will take over as the next lord of Spiderweb's castle. They try to laugh it off until Lord Suzuki fulfills the first two parts of the prophecy that very night. But Washizu's wife, Asaji turns out to be more of a crone than the witch could ever dare be. She bullies Washizu into murdering Lord Suzuki and becoming, becoming the new lord himself. So everything's cool now, right? Washizu can be king samurai and Miki's son will be next in secession. But the formerly barren Asaji is now preggers and pressures Washizu into doing what needs to be done with Miki and son. Miki loses his head 
but his son rallies up the old rebellious forces and attacks Spiderweb's castle from behind a wall of cut-down, moving trees. Asaji gives birth to a stillborn baby and promptly goes nuts, while Washizu tries to give a pep talk speech to his troops as the enemy approaches. They respond with a hail of arrows, which kills Washizu after a surprisingly long amount of time. like our third Japanese film or something. Godzilla, this, and... Do we not even do an anime yet? Not a proper one. No? Oh, there, because no. we did Digimon for your other podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're not, we haven't gotten that deep into Japanese stuff. And We've done some other Godzillas and some other Pokemon and some other Monster Hunter, but not real Japanese shit. Yeah, as well, so we did, okay, Monster and Detective Pokemon, but it's all, all American. So, I yep. mean, well, there is the argument that even Kurosawa is, you know, tainted by the West because of uh, all the what John Ford in, influence. Well, it... it it's a big thing, right? Yeah. Because the West spent the next, like, 30 years ripping off Kurosawa, so... Right, right. Well, that's <laughs> maybe because it was a little more palatable to what they had been doing, but yeah. at, at the same time, there's nothing wrong with, you know, trying to take a few tricks from a, a, a well-to-do director. Look, if you go out of your way to not do what everyone else is doing, you get Battlefield Earth, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But um, if you do watch other... Japanese films of the 50s especially, they, they've got a very different vibe. They're very, from what I've heard, I haven't watched many, it's very stationary camera, almost theater stuff, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the morals and things are a lot more abstract. Right, yeah, yeah, So, um, and, and even Kurosawa's a few that he does that, so. Um, well, I mean, this one you're saying, it's a bit Western, it's literally Macbeth. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is usually where we get talking straight away about actors, but we just had to throw out Kurosawa first, I guess. What? It's definitely a curious. I'm just film. thinking, do we talk about the directors that often? I think we'd give a fair amount. Uh, sometimes, like, I... I, we I did guess, a, like, oh, yeah, when we did Nolan, we wouldn't shut up about Nolan. Yeah. All You Need Is Kill, it took quite a long... I think it was the last segment where, like, we even shout out the name Doug Lyman, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when the directors... Kubrick, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, when it's the sort of film where the title just basically includes the director's name, right? Yeah, when it's an auteur, you know. And, yeah. and, and uh, again, uh, that's why I was, like, so surprised they didn't talk about Doug Lyman. I mean, he is kind of a more populist filmmaker, but he's got his own thing, right? He's mm. someone you would talk about some. I guess, yeah, I have the same thing in video games. You never talk about directors unless it's your Hideo Kojima, the Metal Gear guy. Okay. Or, you know, <laughs> there's a few who are the auteurs. You hear about them. But yeah, well, I guess in sci-fi fiction, we watch a lot of stuff where it's the, what would the word be? It's the property, it's the brand. It's mm. the sci-fi concept that we're interested in. And we kind of forget about the human element. <laughs> At yeah. least actors are right in our face. Yeah, sometimes. Well, that's one of the points of uh, going celluloid this this month is just to, you know, hit it different ways. So yeah. that's kind of what we're doing. But we do have to mention, you know, Mifune Toshiro, right? We got to give... There, there's the, the, the actor everyone knows or everyone should know. He, that, this is, like, up there in terms of Macbeth performances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is probably my favorite filmed Macbeth. That A lot of people actually say that, so... Yeah. <laughs> Again, I really like this movie. So, um, and he he's at his most unhinged here because um, you know Seven Samurai is kind of like 
the mildly chill Ronan, right? Mm. Where here he's just going completely nuts. Also, he does a really nice turn. Yeah, because you do like him at the first part of the movie. Yeah. You're like, and then, you know, he gets infected by his wife. Which, <laughs> I mean, that's in the, the that's whole right, story. That's from the play, yeah. No, of course, that's the whole story. But uh, <laughs> who's also very good, and geez, uh, like I said, um, Mifune is the name everyone remembers. And um, I, I know the guy who plays Miki is a very notable actor of the time. And I, I just, yeah, I guess we don't. Oh, your phone's over there. We My don't. Phone's over there. I'd look up the woman. I probably should, shouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah, she's second billing yeah. and everything. And she is very good. Lady Macbeth. Ashida? Is that her name in this? Um, Kajida? Asaji. Asaji. Yeah. Now he's just graciously throwing out Japanese sounding <laughs> sounds. <laughs> That's okay. I just kept writing Lady Macfune in my yeah. notes. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I mean, she's ooh, I, she barely seems human. Just you like see, right the witch. from the start, she already seems like some sort of spirit. Yeah, it's like she's never looking at anything. She's staring into the middle distance and just talking in that. And then we should do this voice. <laughs> she's got four eyebrows. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's an interesting thing. And then the geisha, you know, would have black teeth, right? And yeah. And uh. In Edo time, so you know, wild stuff. But yeah, yeah, she's completely unlikable from the start. You know, whereas um, the the Washizu is is at least you're kind of like, man, I, I know this is all gonna go horrible because I know the story. Yeah. But I really want to like this guy. And they also did a really nice job of him and Miki, who I guess is the Banquo character. They come across as pretty genuine friends at the start. Can, can you have a look at uh, his his? Uh discography, excuse me, filmography. I, I want to say he was in another notable Kurosawa, which is the uh, the, the old man. Oh, he was in Rashomon. Oh, he was in Rashomon, of course, but uh, can I see the list there? There's another. Ikiru, excuse me, I touched that, but Ikiru, that's where he's the lead. Okay. And that's, uh, that. that is a Kurosawa that is more in line with Japanese filmmaking at the time. Okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, I mean, obviously, we want to go to Kurosawa or Sci-Fi Sanctuary. We're, we're gonna, if we're cheating, we're gonna go for one of the like straight up, you know, Jedi ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although, again, it's Macbeth. It's not straight up Jedi. We've said Macbeth so many times now. We're gonna die by the end of this podcast, aren't we? Probably. We're yeah. also just like recording in random haunted, abandoned temples on the side of mountains. So. It's not abandoned. There's posters like a tea shit inside. You could have teeth in there. Oh. Yeah. Okay. There's a lock on it, man. You can't just go in all willy-nilly. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. We're not going to be killed by spirit here, of all places. In our, in our normal temple, as you know, that one really looks abandoned, but people regularly kind of stroll up as we're recording. So, yeah, true. You know, uh, people keep up with these things because they sacred sites. I should mention this for audio listeners. We always talk about recording in temples and stuff. For once, for this film, we've decided to actually film it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so if you decide to listen to this podcast on YouTube, you can see the, the dope places where we record. I've never watched a podcast on YouTube, ever. I've never even watched one of our videos. <laughs> the only... I, I assume that people who want to watch them on YouTube, it's because they put it on in the background while they're doing stuff on their computer. No, I'm sure there's reasons. It's just, it's not my jam, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> but, you know, if you want to just scrub through this one and see all the nice shots, I might recommend that. Yeah, yeah, that's because I think you're looping most of it. So, you know, just have a, have a, have a squiz, right? Um, so th those are really the three actors here. I mean, there's Miki's son, but he's just kind of there, right? Well, yeah, because there's a shot at the end before the final battle. We see Miki's son and the prince. I couldn't remember which one was which. <laughs> we hadn't spent enough time with them, so just here's two young, handsome Japanese men. <laughs> Obviously, there's the great lord, but he's just played by 
He's some old, stuffy, important-looking guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he's a fine actor, but he's, he's there to die. Yeah. But, I mean, in classic Macbeth fashion, there is just Macbeth and Lady Macbeth for most of the story. Yeah, and then and people carry dying off on the, on the sides. Well, yeah, we don't even see most of the deaths. Well, that's how this stuff works. I mean, is the best drama when, like, the, you know, the old Greek drama thing where most of the action does appear off-screen, and then you just talk about what happened? No, the best drama is when you have loads of kung fu on screen. Okay, what what if the sorry, you're incorrect. What if the main action happens off screen, but we discuss it later using kung fu? Well, that can work, I guess. A kung fu movie where you don't actually see the major battles, but there's lots of kung fu. Isn't that hero? Yeah, and that is one of the best kung fu movies. <laughs> okay. so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Point proven. <laughs> Where's the samurai? Now, one thing we definitely do not get are you know katana. They definitely you know. D double down into samurai actually use bows and arrows as their main weapon. Yeah, which is accurate. So I'm not using that as a criticism at all. It's just you know it's it's fun to see a good Musashi sword fight, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, my one disappointment when I was like, I want a Kurosawa film, and you said this one. It doesn't really have sword fights. <laughs> they do some wild stuff with the arrows, though. No, the arrow scene. The final arrow scene is like famous and is, with good reason. Would you agree that that is the best Wolverine scene ever? It's pretty Wolverine, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they getting... basically based him uh, partly after Mifune, yeah. so. <laughs> We're just getting full of arrows and keeps going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how many arrows can you take and keep going? Oh, they weren't going that deep, the ones that No, I was armor, like, so until I went through his neck, I mean, I guess the armor was mostly holding, but he yeah. still must have had a couple zingers in there, so. <laughs> I think you can take quite a few, yeah. as long as they don't puncture anything mysterious. Which they it's eventually It's like, did. um... <laughs> The end of Lethal Weapon 2, when he just unloads a machine gun into um, Mel Gibson. And then, like, the next scene, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's because he's Mel Gibson. I don't I'll know what that means anymore. <laughs> I don't know what that means anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I just clicked on, when I, you know, I was looking at the wiki page. Because this one, I did want to make sure I got all the plot points, like, relatively... Mm. Sort of, kind of right. I, I skipped over major stuff too, but whatever. But um, I, I just actually, I think I just accident clicked on um, Mifune and then it had his actor picture, like his, you know, his uh, glossy, which is just this short-haired, happy-looking guy. I was like, <laughs> man, I just watched Turn of Blood. That's not the guy I saw on screen at all. Nope. He's clean-shaven, all that. I was like, so you know, again, props to well, all the actors in this film, bit parts or small. There's no weak links here. I, I, I really enjoyed, and I. I think this is from Macbeth as well. The little shots of his retainers just going up in the world. Yeah. We see them just like hanging out at the garrison and we see them hanging out at the castle. <laughs> well, I put in my notes, this is the mirror universe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is how the mirror universe works in Star Trek, right? Right. You just, you kill people above you and take their places. So, and then we'll get a little more into why they're doing that and all of that. In, in terms of the OG stuff, in terms of this film, I, th that's one of the reasons this film works so well. It has plenty to offer on its own, oh, even if you. it's, you know, using its DNA from a Shakespeare play, so. You want to 
samurai shit. Did you get samurai shit? Oh, yeah. You didn't get your katana, but everything else is pretty much here. I didn't get much in the way of the violence, but the aesthetic I definitely got. Yeah. And that's mostly what I'm into. Just uh, the armor, you want to the find mountains, them. the castles, the old paintings, the trappings of all the honor and the bravery and stuff. Because yeah, most of my samurai loves comes from reading history and playing games. Right. Not necessarily from actually watching modern samurai content. The company party was pretty hardcore in this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, mostly I love samurai. When it comes to feasts, though, European knights have gotten beat. Yeah. You know, I would want big hunks of meat and tankards of meat, not sitting all prim and proper with your little pile of rice. Yeah. Which would I rather eat? I mean, the rice, right, so they got the little, like, kaiseki, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the little dishes, so, which we, we deal with a lot. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that is funny. How many, how many, like, just total, like, bash-ups occur at, like, a, a West or a UK company party? Look, there's one at Christmas, basically. Oh, yeah. but you mean fights? Or just, like, giant arguments. Oh, like, a few per party. Okay. <laughs> I just, uh, in Japan, I feel like I've seen a few that you... I guess it, it it's in more contrast, because everyone is trying to kind of be prim and proper and walk the line. Someone, oh, yeah, it's because someone you bottle everything nuts. up so much the rest of the year that it, it really comes out at the party. Yeah. <laughs> Which clan are you in for? Are you, are you, are you Sanada? You want that Rakuman? Oh, let me think. Kenshin's cool. Sanada does have pretty dope armor. I've, I've pretty much uh, staked my claim in, in Shinshu, so I gotta go Sanada, don't I? Yeah, I guess I have. I mean, I've lived here for like three years, so the Nagano ones are my boys at the moment. But I live in Nagano City. Mm. And that's the famous thing there is the battle between Wesagi and Takeda. Two battles, right? Well, it's like five battles. Kawanakajima? There's like two separate ones. It's like... the, the five battles of Kawanakajima. Oh, five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess it's a good place to fight? Yeah, well, it's because it's a nice flat plain in between some rivers, so it's a great place for farming. <laughs> what Kawanakajima means, island between two rivers. Yeah. <laughs> but so I guess i got to pick one of those guys. Takeda stood up to Nobunaga, but then Kenshin did the whole rice thing, so I think Kenshin's my guy. You're into the rice. Oh, there's, oh not rice, salt. The salt oh, thing. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Like, give salt to your enemy. Right. Because rice, I'm a little down on, to be honest, which is weird living in Japan. I feel like eating rice is like pouring sugar in my gas tank. I, I mean, I do eat rice, like, for lunch every day. But, yeah, rice is just there to be the filler. It's the potatoes, right? Yeah, I mostly just have with curry, you know? Yeah. But, uh, um, how about the, the witch, the ghost? What are we going to call our... Well, they call our... it, like, an evil spirit. It's like a yokai it is a spirit. or a... Yeah, I, in my summary, I actually wrote ghost. And then once I had made the thing, uh, I made a joke about um, uh, Asaji being more of a, a crone, right? I was like, well, I got to call it a witch now. So. Yeah, but no, because I think it... That image, I don't know if it's from this or it predates this, but it's been ripped off a lot in anime. Like the little white-haired spirit weaving his web. Yeah, another one that um, definitely comes to mind is uh, Kwaidan. Have you seen that? No. It's a, uh, I think it's like mid-60s or something. It's a Japanese horror anthology, which you okay. should actually check out. That it's, sounds good. And it is creepy as hell, too, by the way, and has that sort of imagery in it as well. Mm. So, uh, more so in color. Because, <laughs> yeah, recently even um, the one the kids are all into, the Kimetsu no Yaiba, one of the episodes of that is like some spider demons who live in a forest. Right. And there's one, the leader is like spinning a thing exactly like that. They've all got the white hair. I guess even Madame Webb from Spider-Man comics is basically this. Yeah, it is a trope. Um, very androgynous. I, I, I kept like oscillating between if this was... was I'm a... fairly sure it was a male actor. Yeah. 
But I don't. I think it was meant to come across pretty androgynous. Yeah, and because they never say he, right? They always say that evil spirit. Yeah, and of course we're infected by the uh, whole like uh, three witches thing yeah, from, yeah, from yeah, Macbeth. Yeah. So, um, and, we, and we, yeah, we don't we don't get the flow and the rhyme from, that we get there. From no, the, but what we do get is fucking incredible cinematography. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like every <laughs> every shot in this movie is like an art photo. Ian, I was reading a thing. Kurosawa was apparently deliberately inspired by. Like the classic Japanese paintings of mountains, which are always those dark shapes with the white mist mm. flowing in between them, and that's my favorite weather to look at the mountains around here. And we both pretty much showed up with those T-shirts today. Yeah, 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 so. yeah exactly that. Oh, it's on video of, uh, far <laughs> away, but maybe you can spot that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a close-up of yours. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I told you I did think of coming full on with a, a, a full-on djembe, but uh, then I'd have to walk around djembe, So I mean, I'd love to be sat here in my samurai armor recording this, but <laughs> those cost like 10 grand. <laughs> I got the djembe, it's fine. <laughs> but um, Yeah, every shot of just mountains and mist swelling between trees and swelling over mountains, absolutely gorgeous in this film. I did think it was weird the second time the spirit shows up. It doesn't have any of that stuff. I, I, I was joking in my notes, like, oh, it's gone low budget. I mean, obviously. But then it does, it does the thing of switching between faces instead. Yeah. So, yeah, the first time it has that little hut, and then the hut disappears in the mist, and it's all... That's very well done. And then the, well, the second time, it doesn't need to prove anything mm. to him, does it? Yeah. He knows that it's a future-telling spirit. It's the, just that fuck with him. <laughs> <laughs> the Highland Castle still kind of blows me away. Like, you and I, uh, we did Sonic the Hedgehog pretty much, like, getting lost in the fog as these guys mm. do um so you know we know these places but i i what what castles are up there well the castle in this they built for this yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just like who built a castle that high i mean we're t- well, okay it's to, like watch your territory right yeah we're we talking we could have been filming in togora castle today it, c- it occurred to me but i i decided yeah. i'd rather walk than drive yeah um <laughs> so, so you can walk there but even yeah but to- <laughs> yeah you could uh togra is even like yeah, Wait. it's on the lower peak, not yeah, the yeah. peak behind it. You know, I'm thinking like these 2,000 meter high places. That's clearly where the Spiderwebs castle is, so. But it's it's not like just a lone peak. Like people presumably are living, everyone's living up that high. Yeah. So I think there are a few like that. It's just those ones haven't lasted. Because when Washington's The ones his, which are in the cities are the ones which they maintain as a tourist place. Yeah, when Washington's in his preliminary fortress, that's in a pretty normal place. That's yeah. like. That's like, you know, like, way to castle spots, right? Mm. Way to castle being where where I live and at a um, relatively normal, you know, mountain altitude. prefecture altitude. Right, it's not sea level, but it's not that high, even though way to does mean, like, high land. But <laughs> well, when I've been hiking around the mountains around Nagano, often on my map it will say, like, ruins of such and such castle. But you get there, it's just a post in the ground because the castle is long gone. Yeah, that's what... Uh, so I think, well, that's what you see of this castle at the end of the film. Right. And way back uh, when <laughs> we did the film. Spider-Man 2 and uh, Godzilla, we were, we were looking for that castle and didn't... I don't even know if we found it or not, to be honest. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere around there. So, yeah, I think they built these... They would build those castles as a small lookout castle. But I don't think that be, would be where the Lord is stationed. Like that's why I thought this. it was... Yeah, that's why I thought it was so weird, because that's like the Ruffinet Castle, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, I guess if you're at war, you do want to isolate yourself somewhat. Oh, yeah, because uh, they did the whole... Like, it's built with the forest as, like, a protection and stuff. Yeah. Apparently, it was all filmed at Fuji. Until the forest attacks you. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, so on the move. That's ha- ha- from Macbeth. Right. I know, <laughs> but it just it comes across so weird on, on film. Here. It comes across really well here, because... Um, you see it, and it looks like the forest has come to life. 
Yeah, I know. And it's it's a, only after he's dead that you get the reveal that it was just they're moving the trees as like a stealth thing. Well, it's pretty obvious what's going on. Right, yeah, because we know Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> but this film does have, like, you know, spirits and shit. Yeah. So it could have been the forest is coming to get him and he's going to get killed by triffids at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they had the foreshadowing of, the, oh, all the lights are out. What are they doing? You know, yeah. being being stealthy. That's what they're doing. But that's better than Trojan horse. That's like, that's like let's build like 200 Trojan horses and then just beat you over the head with them. Yep. <laughs> just ram the doors down with one of the tree trunks. <laughs> uh, before we leave the distinctly Japanese design elements, is there something you want to talk about? The, um, I don't think any of them were wearing specific real historical samurai armors but they had helmets reminiscent of famous armors and then i noticed their um their banners miki was a rabbit a prey animal yeah and then uh washizu was a mukare a centipede like one of the most deadly things in japan oh do you know how to tell if the moon is getting smaller or bigger no look at the crescent in the sky sometimes it's at quite an angle and you but yeah. you can still work this out if at that angle it makes more of a small B, it's getting bigger. Huh. If at that angle it's more of a small D, it's getting smaller. So Washizu's crescent was going in the D direction. Oh. And um, I, I guess it was uh, Miki's son, maybe? I, I can't remember who, but it was in more of the B direction. Right, so yeah. I thought that was kind of Yeah, cool. his was waning and his was rising. Right. <laughs> so yeah. maybe, I mean, maybe that's why they didn't go so historical, because they were kind of throwing in that little... Well, also because it is a bunch of fictional characters, right? They couldn't just shoehorn it into a real... Samurai didn't do these things. We do that in plenty of other Japanese movies. Yeah, to an extent. <laughs> Especially animes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's animated, so it's different. What lies before me? Is that the first line of Macbeth? Yeah. Okay. No, it's not. No, 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 no. The first line is the um, tumble, yeah. bubble, toil and trouble or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just looking at this pile of whatever the hell it is in front of me. It's, uh, yeah, some like seeds. I'm trying they, to go shake. Are they left us some sort of an offering? Or are they just know. feeding the pigeons? <laughs> I'm going to go pigeons. Yeah. I guess it's not poop. That's good. No. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually our second Shakespeare in the sanctuary. Yeah. We did the Tempest, remember? Oh, right, right, Forbidden Planet. We started this podcast at the one we recorded that one at. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I guess we should think a little about... about well, um, would you say there's anything philosophically that where this and Macbeth do divulge? They divulge aren't in the content itself, but in the context in which it exists. Because this is transposed into samurai culture, the, uh, the culture of, like, absolute loyalty was even stronger that it is amongst, like, European lords and kings. Right. All of the, you know, scheming has to go in, like, whispers and, you know, closed, yeah. very closed doors, you know? But, uh, yeah, Kurosawa, I think, said that it's, he noticed that, that that backstabbing bloody world of medieval Scotland was very similar to that backstabbing bloody world of Sengoku samurai. Yeah. Where, because samurai bang on about, you know, absolute, you know, fealty to their lord and stuff. But... In reality, they were all mercenaries for those hundred years. And, like, if they thought they could get ahead, they would totally stab you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, I guess Shakespeare wasn't much of a feminist. <laughs> um, 
Well, at least here, I I'm, think. I think actually he is kind of considered <laughs> feminist by his age. But, you know, he was writing 500 years ago, so you can't quite judge him by today's True, standards. true, I guess. And, and I, I can't remember just how deplorable Lady Macbeth actually comes across, but, um, you know, Asagi is she just... She is deplorable, but she's also a very powerful character. Like, she has way more agency in this than Macbeth does. Oh, yeah, she's, I mean, basically the lead villain here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, none of people might have actually gotten along okay without her, you know, pushing buttons and stuff. But, yeah, like... Washiki um, here, he—he's just a bit like being pulled along by the stream of fate and by his wife. Yeah, and he doesn't really make a decision in the whole thing. No, no. Well, at least uh, he thinks he's making them sometimes, but he's being mm. pushed into them. So, because um, okay, I mean, it's you know, it's a escalating, I guess, uh, stakes, right? Well, I guess the first one's pretty high stakes. You kill the Lord, but it's a pretty easy job in that case that you can cover up. And, yeah. You know, um, you know, Miki's just a dick move. So, <laughs> Especially when it turns out she wasn't pregnant. Yeah. And it's just nuts as hell. <laughs> yep. Which uh, they definitely, that is a very definitive uh, rendition of the... Of the, uh, the, the, the out damn spot. My yeah, yeah. Clean. <laughs> i got to tell you the story. <laughs> it may be not actually that funny, but... um. Back in high school, I was talking to a guy, and you know, we were very young. We were only just starting to have sex, and we were talking about you know when girls have their period. Were you and the dude? Me and the dude were talking about girls, yeah. And he's saying, um, I mean, you do, you do, we're just starting to have sex. Oh no, we've been having sex for years, but we're just starting to have sex with girls. And um, (laughs) (laughs) and he's like, yeah, I I figured out last night, and afterwards I felt like Lady Macbeth, you know, there was blood on my hands and it wouldn't wash off. Okay. And it was like such a combination of like really crass and gross, but also a really cultured reference. Well, teenagers aren't quite as, uh, they don't look at the calendar as often. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that happens, but uh, yeah. Um, but, but then in terms of her performance, yeah, this is an absolutely fantastic one. But his as well, because he's performing from that position of the samurai idea of loyalty, that conflict of he knows that he has to betray his lord, but also he feels like he can't because of his loyalty. That yep really plays out here. Well, he's Whereas loyal with, with like the Scottish Macbeth. You know, you just you know he's gonna stab him in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's 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 loyal, but he just he has no no moral compass at all. I guess he lets his he lets his wife be his moral compass. Right. Yep. 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 I mean, he even questions her about it, but he's just like whatever. Okay. I guess. I'm <laughs> well. She uses the classic thing which would work on any samurai of like, well, are you a pussy? (laughs) No, I'm brave, I'll do it. (laughs) I got that samurai spirit. (laughs) That's what I love about samurai is the whole like, bravery is the absolute number one thing above anything else, which on a personal scale, I think is a great quality. As a a whole culture, it leads to horrible atrocities. Because just everyone becomes a combatant. Okay, let's sci-fi this up a touch and, and go more Trek. Are the samurai uh, Jedi, Klingons, Vulcans? Who, who are the samurai in sci-fi? I mean, they're Romulans, especially in Picard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> with that, yeah but that's a different order. But, yeah, but yeah. the Romulans don't have the whole... They're all subterfuge, right? I feel like back in the original series, it was more like Klingons were all subterfuge and Romulans were honorable. And then somehow by next gen, they'd switched. Yeah. But the Jedi becoming Jedi doesn't work for you. I don't think them as Jedi, no. I mean, 
the idealized version of them is Jedi. I guess they're more monks, yeah. But um, the actual reality of them wasn't. They're very Klingon. Jedi are more Wu-Tang. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but no, because I think the idealized version of a samurai is what the Jedi is based on. Hmm. But in reality, they ended up being much more a warrior race. But they are more like... Because they want to present themselves as the leaders, they make great efforts to be very refined. So they're not really Klingons, because Klingons just revel in the fact that, yeah, we are barbarian warrior guys. Mm. Whereas samurai don't, they try and hide from that. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what Star Trek race that would be. Yeah. What, what is the f- tragic, the fatal flaw here? I, I guess that, that's Greek drama again, but yeah, Shakespeare is everything of that. Anyway, well, um, right? so. I was, that, that's a whole big thing to talk about, because Shakespeare, uh, Macbeth is just a classic example of Greek fatalism. Right. It's, you have a, a f- prophecy and everything you do to try and avoid the prophecy fulfills the prophecy. Oedipus with less incest. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, these were like samurai clans. There's probably a lot of incest. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think, doubt they were marrying too far from the family. Yeah, I, I think they were more like, hey, you know what? What we do in the trenches stays in the trenches. Right, right. <laughs> but um, what? yeah, his fatal flaw, like there is more... There is more hubris in the fatal flaw in Shakespeare, where this guy is really trying to just be like, hey, let's just chill out and enjoy a nice position. We don't need to make it bigger. And very easily getting talked out of it. Hmm. The way it portrays his wife in this, it feels like she is part of the supernatural. Like she's an extension of the, the spirit. Yeah, the spirit in her is so she's so otherworldly in her performance, and she's just constantly pushing that agenda that it makes you wonder if she's supposed to be in some way supernatural herself. Because Lady Macbeth is more humanized, I feel like, when you see performances mm. of that. But that also might be because there's like six hours of play <laughs> compared to What do actors call tight. her? Lady the Scottish play? I think you're allowed to say the characters' names. Oh, okay. Or maybe they just call her the lady. Oh, maybe. I think once you're performing Macbeth, you're allowed to mention their names and stuff. It's just in general, if you're not actually doing Macbeth, you're not meant to mention it. Yeah, it's good we're not actors. Yeah. Except for that one time I did a bad acting job. I used to make a lot of like dumb YouTube videos. Right. I also have played Romeo. You want to you elaborate on I that? I think I have before. You I have. played Romeo, but <laughs> in a sequel asking. to Romeo and Juliet where I'm dead and I just have to lie on a slab. <laughs> How long do you have to lie on a slab? Only like one scene. Oh, okay. So not so much Romeo there. No. But, uh... I, I will I will probably contrast more when we get to Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, but yeah. I... I that is the thing. Mifune's got so many, like, you know, he always plays a samurai, but he plays some pretty damn different samurai. Right. So, you know, this or, and those other two movies in particular. And then there's, uh, what, Redbeard, is it, or whatever? Beard? Does that make sense? That's not right. I'm not sure. It's a later Kurosawa. That, it's one of the last ones he did with him. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I think, it, yeah, something like that. But, you, yeah, in this, he's very much, he's really putting in a performance. Oh, yeah, that's Like, good. most of the film is, like, uh, there's beautiful trappings around him. But the core of this film is just his performance, essentially. I mean, if you want a master class in face acting, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does go over the top. He goes over the top in a way that works. Yeah. So that's well, pretty because cool. because he builds to it so well. Yeah. And then, yeah, when he finally, like, sees Miki at the fi- feast. And I can't remember. I assume this is how it is in Macbeth as well. But technically, at that point, you don't even know he's dead. I, I believe that's correct. That's how it's revealed that he's dead, is that he starts hallucinating that he's there. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't sure, I was trying to remember if it's the reason he's not there because 
he's suspicious and that's what drives him to kill him. It's the spirits Which intruding like, again. Yeah, it's the spirits intruding again, isn't it? So Yeah. So <laughs> But every Halloween recently me and Rob have been watching a Japanese horror film. Did like the ring and the grudge. And this is basically the same shtick the grudge is doing. Yeah. But it's just it's not trying to, you know, shock you and jump scare you. It's using it for actual storytelling purposes. I just say again, Quiet On should be your next choice. Okay. Know. <laughs> that that is a, a very interesting. I'm going to call that more interesting. It's it's not quite on the um you know apex of filmmaking that this one is, but right. it makes up for that in like trippy surrealness. Quiet On so. Jin. Hmm. I said Quiet On Jin. Oh, we're going Jedi again, are we? Quiet <laughs> <laughs> On. <laughs> but um, oh, the scene that I was going to say that is very essential and again uh, neither of us like actually read the play you know getting recently. Into recently I read it like, oh I've read so, I mean yeah. re- that's what I mean recently I have read it it's the shortest one man it's the one you go for first <laughs> it's, well, got the, it's the shortest one with the highest body count it's the one you go for first the last time I read and watched Macbeth was when I was going through a, st- a phase of making stop motion Shakespeare's and I did Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet with my G.I. Joes and then I decided I wanted to do Macbeth with my Transformers that makes sense but obviously you know Starscream and Megatron <laughs> Right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but then um, they they are a lot harder to get to stand in position than G.I. Joe's are. <laughs> so I got bored and gave up. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the scene that I was going to say really stuck out, and I don't remember if it's a play or not, is um, the one right before they, they go to the castle for the first time and just like sit down and have a laugh and, okay, well, let's just laugh this off and move on with our lives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they've just heard the prophecy and they don't believe it yet. Yeah. I think that is from the play. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I imagine I, it must be there, but it's been the a while. At the start of this podcast, I was saying, it really made you believe they were good friends. Yeah. And that's the scene that does it. Right. They sit, they're like, that was a thing, have a little laugh, then like, oh, but... <laughs> and yeah, it really... I think without that scene, the film would feel a lot less... Emo- you wouldn't have any emotional investment in these characters. Yeah, that's, that scene does a lot of legwork. That's why really this viewing you know i didn't remember at all i didn't remember from the play i didn't remember from the movie but this time it just it stuck in my head a little more for whatever reason Let's see if i it's I definitely from the play because it, it's such a theater line where they're like let us stop and rest there is the castle oh yeah yeah good point <laughs> <laughs> after they spend what like five years getting lost in the forest and the fog like a day or two but yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a day or two with this film it's just it's just this mid 50s thing of mid 50s you know filmmaking stuck in the mid 50s nothing lasting nothing previously what i don't know yeah okay (laughs) yeah it's a pretty good film (laughs) yeah i had no idea what you were going for there my friend i was trying to call it like just a mid 50s dream that doesn't matter anymore okay Um, poetically 
I mean, it's it's more of like a 1600s thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's the whole point. I mean, obviously, it stands out. And aesthetically, like, yeah, it influenced the next 50 years. <laughs> yeah, so, know, yeah. so everything you just said was wrong. It's a pretty seminal film. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we haven't... Uh, we're going to do Seven Samurai at some point, but I, I am curious. You're, you're, you know that one pretty well, right? Again, I've not seen it since I was a kid, but... I'm, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and, uh, so, well, thinking of seminal... seminal Samurai films. I, I guess I was going to try and get you ranked this with that right now, but that's uh, the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just now really dipping my toe into that kind of samurai films, so I couldn't give you a rating yet. Okay, the Musashi films are also quite worth watching. Okay, have you read the? You've read those. Yeah, I know Musashi. Yeah. Okay, they, they made a few. I, I think also the Mifune in the fifties, uh, and they, they're not Kurosawa, but they're pretty, pretty top flight ones. Nice. Um, I know my, my father was really into the 60s one, Harakiri, which um, was released in the West originally as the wooden sword, because he's supposed to do it with a wooden sword. I think we talked about that in um, Howard and Maud a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, because of all the suicide, yes. <laughs> but it literally has a Harakiri scene. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, but uh, the, the Japanese movie obviously being a very different beast. Oh, yeah, I think you brought the movie up. That's that? a bummer of a movie to watch, but it's kind of in the I title. Mean, it sounds like it would be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's like uh, some young Ronin goes trying to find a boss. It's like, you can hire me or I have to do it. And, and the, uh, the whole idea is it's just a ceremony. You're supposed to hire him, but uh, mm -hmm. he's like, no, no, kill yourself. Here's a wooden sword. Huh. So then the guy's brother comes to, like, avenge his shit or something. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie. It's just it's not. It's pretty hardcore. Uh, this one's this one's relatively hardcore. Um, no, I mean people. These people should be ending it all. Or, well, Mifune his wife should be ending it all with what they're doing. But uh, <laughs> Mifune? Yeah. You mean Wakushi? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. The actor should not have offed himself after this film. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember his name. So I was like, what? Yeah, you yeah, mix up one of the other films. You no, no, he he had several yeah. very good films to make after this. Yes, <laughs> I think um, the Great Lord's wife does off herself. That explicitly happens in this film. Oh, okay. Oh, right. The wife does. Yes. Yeah. yes. We, that's all off screen, of course. But uh, mm. yeah, well, they just show. Up. I think his is the only on screen death. Yeah, yeah. Because they're all crying, so he's yeah. already dead. I don't know. They do give you a severed head, very nicely wrapped. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think Macbeth is the only on screen death in this film. Yeah. Yeah. And what a death. Oh, that's... that's. Is there a better film death than this? It's up there. <laughs> I stunk right through the neck. Um, the Thing might have one. To... There's some great film deaths. Let's not... No. Open that kind of always Hans right Gruber. Now. Yeah. Oh, this is kind of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's um, Bennett from Commando, but that's more the line than the death. Oh, that's the line. Let off some steam, Bennett. That's definitely the line. <laughs> um, the eye popping and total recall, if we're going to keep shorts yeah, making. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, like, nothing we've said so far really is better than the, um, you know, Thousand Arrow death in the... If, you, uh, oh, if you're taking the whole scene, not just the one... Goes in the, the neck, neck skill yeah. shot, yeah. Well, also, uh, this was definitely the best death in cinema when it came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, nothing had done that yet. But, uh... But yeah, that whole scene of him just like screaming and smashing the arrows. <laughs> Fantastic. I I morbidly love the scene in a film where the guy knows it's all up and he's, his death is on his doorstep and he sees it coming. He's just trying to delay it as much as possible. But he, know, he knows it's second. the end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that scene always is just like, oh, I love it. Also, it's just like, I'm going to give you guys a pep talk and they respond with like, Hails of arrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he'd given them the one pep talk that had worked, 
And then the trees did stop moving. And they're like, right, okay. <laughs> it's like, yep, yep, your prophecies are now biting you in the, the buttocks. And that is actually, a, I think, completely different ending from Macbeth. Yeah. I don't think his own men kill him in Macbeth. Again, I, I guess I should have read it again before this, but oops. <laughs> yeah, that is a great change. And what I'm really curious about, I don't know much about how fate works in Japanese mythology. That's a good point. Because I, I, this is like, very much the ancient Greek version of fate. It is. I think, I think Japanese gives you more wiggle room. Now, they want you to toe the line in order to control your fate, right? Mm. So that's a kind of a weird non-Western sort of bent towards it. But I, I think there's some wiggle room. Like, you control your fate, but you control your fate by, like, you know, like, following the customs and mm. towing the line, which is basically well, I was, mind I, I don't control think anyway, there are but. so many Japanese stories where you just, it's laid out as clearly. It's more of a nebulous thing, I think. The one that really bugs me is, is it Yoroshima? Have to remind me. That's the guy that goes into the sea and... Oh, he can't open the box. Right. Why would you give him the box anyway? Don't give him the box. <laughs> yeah. Just, he wants to go home? Why, why are you giving him the box? Oh, I think it's meant with? to be the box contains his life, and if he's too far from it. Oh, okay. Anyway, that one always... Because he... What's it, that it all comes from him, like, saving a sea turtle, right? Yep. I mean, he did a good deed and eventually got, like, screwed for it. It's a very bizarre story. Yeah. I will be getting into that story in my Monster Hunter podcast in a few months. Okay. <laughs> you can bring me on, man. I'll talk about it, not knowing anything about the monster. Just knowing <laughs> about Yoroshima. Because I, I, I did that at my old job. Like, that was actually, like, a chapter. So, like, every few months I'd have to do it again. Now, go get your wife in on it. To really tell me the Japanese side. I invite her on podcast. She didn't want to come on. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You should come on, but yeah, no, no interest on that. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I was not actually expecting her to come on my Monster Hunter podcast. Oh, not the my oh monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be even more fun. Just go get, get a Monster Hunter. What's that? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna get her to tell me that story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can record it. Maybe, hey, I, maybe I get her to just record the story, send it to you. That would be fun. That would be cool. Okay, okay. Anyway, that, that that's <laughs> basically shop talk. That I'm, well, not editing, but uh, yeah, that's the sort of thing that should edit but doesn't. <laughs> why? A tangent. Uh, people are cool probably people enjoy like it. I don't know. Yeah. Just nearly threw coffee all over your iPad. Yeah, I, I was glad it didn't hit the iPad. I mean, rain was hitting the iPad earlier, but uh, yeah. Don't rain on my parade, man. Um. So, how many Kurosawa movies have you seen? I've definitely seen Seven Samurai and Hidden Fortress, but not in a long time. Yojimbo? I think, oh, and Yojimbo and Rashomon. Okay. But, but not Ikiru. No. Okay, you should put that on your list. I mean, the thing is, Kurosawa did not just make, you know, there's a Rhapsody in August. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's on Netflix. Dreams. That's the Richard Gere one, right? Hmm? Rhapsody in August, it's a Richard Gere one. I think that might be Dreams, actually. Yeah, or it might be Rhapsody and August, I don't right. remember. It's, those are both late, very later. Those are yeah. old man Kurosawa. But, you know, the thing is, I mean, he, it's, he, it's not like he was just like a samurai filmmaker, which sometimes mm. he gets the rep as. You know, he right. had some other stuff going on. So <laughs> a lot of other really good stuff going on. There, there's definitely other things. Um, Mufune, I guess, most, I mean, he, he played some other things as well, but I, I guess he's pretty iconically set in as your, your samurai. Right. And when people think of Samurai, they just get an image of this guy in his head, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Samurai Jack is basically him. Yeah. <laughs> Again, bit, Wolverine is basically him. Yeah. You know? yeah, when you get one of those Japan stories of Wolverine, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And uh, until Jackman was uh, doing the role pretty regularly, that still would have been the go-to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <clears throat> Do you want to throw a final thought on this film? 
I, I said it earlier in the podcast. So I think I'm going to reiterate it. I, I think this is the best cinematic Macbeth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, um, it's, it's so, just... I mean, if you're, if you're just like, I want some samurai stuff, maybe this is a weird one to start with. Mm. But if, if the idea of, like, here is a samurai version of a Shakespeare play tickles you, it's stupendous. It's weird. Sometimes, uh, you know, modern, uh, modern. well, it's not modernizing in this case, but just uh, tweaking your Shakespeare does a lot. Uh, I remember there, Richard III, Ian McClellan, did, like, kind of the Nazi version of Richard III. Mm. And that's the best version of that I've seen, uh, including having seen the proper play on stage. Well, I think what it is is because Shakespeare, Shakespeare writes with the assumption that you know a lot of the context. Right. Like, um, so in this film, we have Mickey's son takes over the castle. You, in the Shakespeare play, Banquo's, son, Banquo's descendants become kings like a century later. It's just assumed that you know that because you've seen all of his plays. So putting, it into, putting a Shakespeare play into a context where you do know everything else helps you understand what he was getting at. Mm. So in this case, like, I know a lot about like, the samurai version of honor and obeying your lord and blah, blah, blah. So putting this exact dilemma into that setting really works. Well, I guess this is worth knowing then. Is it for, for people's, you know, kind of base, I haven't researched it, samurai knowledge. Is that enough for this movie? Yeah. Okay. It's like you know that these are guys who are super obsessed with honor and who love killing people. <laughs> I guess that's where my, my sci-fi question came in, because uh, just to get back to that, in this particular movie, I'm thinking Klingons. Like, right. like, like, you know, not, not those TOS Klingons, which is straight up, well, maybe a little bit, but just yeah. straight up Klingons, you know? The only scene that stops me thinking that is the feast. Yeah. Because it's so prim and proper. They're yeah, trying, they they're trying not, they're trying not to be barbarians in that scene. <laughs> and Klingons never try not to be barbarians. Except for Worf. Yeah. Which it, makes him lame. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. No shade on Michael Dorn. He did a great job. But Worf himself. Oh, man. Well, you that's why the Worf effect your... is a thing, right? Yeah, you want to kill your party? Although, if you want a wonderful one-liner, then hmm. that's your man. But uh... I like movie Worf a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do the thing, I guess. All right, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSpod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. I do recommend having a little look at the YouTube video of this episode for once. Um, just search Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. If you want to hear more of the music you heard in this podcast, you can find Matt's music at rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. If you want to hear the Monster Hunter podcast I mentioned, then you can find that at Monster Mash Pod on Twitter, or just search Monster Mash Podcast. I also do a Pokemon podcast. I'm doing a lot of Japanese mythology in that one too. So I guess you can find that by going to Luke Loves, po- Luke Loves PKMN on Twitter, or searching Luke Loves Pokemon. Or, you know, you can just give this a rating and a review on whatever podcasting app you're using and tell everyone that it is the business. So, yeah, you listeners, uh, just stand still today because we're going to send you out the sanctuary with a full-on rain of arrows. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. I love the arrow sound effect, and I love the little swish when his wife walks. Oh, the swish! Yeah. I did mean to mention the swish. Because she does the, like, the tiny foot movement you have to do when you're in those tight kimonos. You're right, you're right. Because she's just gliding around really creepily, and you can just hear her coming and going... Okay, good, yeah, good that note. was fantastic. Back to those era sound effects, because you're dying.
Coming soon. Up in smoke. Dune 1984. Into the Spider-Verse. Star Trek Insurrection. (laughs) 